Hey, it's good to see you guys. If you're visiting today, my name's Kyle, and I just want to say thank you so much uh, for being here. Thank you for worshiping with us. As Alan mentioned earlier, there are churches across the county. There are lots of great places to be this morning and worship with other believers. Uh, so we're always glad when you choose us. Thank you for that. Um, while everybody's kind of finding their seat, if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bible to John chapter 14, you can do that. John chapter 14 is where we'll be today. As you're doing that, uh, now that everybody's mostly somewhat seated, um, if you're a veteran in here, would you just stand to your feet for a moment so we can recognize you if you're a veteran? Y'all give them a hand, man. Amen. Thank you so much for your service. Uh, I know your families appreciate it, but so do we. Thank you. All right, John chapter 14. We are uh, continuing this journey that we started throughout John's gospel. Uh, John, the gospel of John was written by the disciple John. John was one of the closest disciples to Christ. He was kind of in that inner circle of disciples, if you will. He writes this book really with one purpose in mind. He tells us, and we just kind of review it every week. We don't review it every week solely for the sake of visitors in the room. We review it every week so that we remember as we're reading this, why is this important for our lives? He wrote this, he says, for this reason. He said, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So far, what we've seen in John, just kind of as a brief recap, as we saw in John 1, that, the being, that, that Jesus is the very glory of God revealed to us. That He is the uh, imprint, would be the word that Hebrews 2 uses, but He is the exact imprint of God's nature. We see there that He is full of grace and truth. We see there also that He is the light. We see throughout John's Gospel that Jesus makes statements about Himself. Things like, I am the living water. He says that I am the bread of life. And that throughout this Gospel, we also have seen Him perform many signs, many miracles, which were further to prove that He is who He says He is, namely that He is the Son of God. And so John's writing these things for us that we may believe. And all of this would be that we would see Christ, and that having seen Him, we would believe that He is the Son of God, that He is who He says He was. And what that means is that He is our desperately needed Savior. Amen? So He puts Jesus before us in this way, and that having seen Him in that way, believing in Him in that way, we find life in His name. So our text today, John 14, 1-14, Jesus makes some very bold statements. He makes bold statements about Himself. He makes uh, some bold statements for, for our encouragement, if you will. So let's pray that we would see these, but not only see them, that we would believe them. And not only believe them, but that we would find life in them today. Amen? Father, we love you. We are glad to be with you today. I'm glad to be with these brothers and sisters in this church house, Father, to read your word, but not just to read it, Father. We're here to, uh, to hear it also proclaimed, but even more than that, what we're asking for right now is that your spirit make it come to life in us, that we would live these truths, that these truths would transform us, and Father, we pray that whatever troubles we came in here with, whatever heart we came into this place with, we would leave with one that has been encouraged, one that has been refreshed, one that has been emboldened by your word. 
We pray now that you strengthen us, Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So just kind of as a way to set the scene, in John chapter 14, we are in a room with Jesus. Ooh, there's a wasp. That was awesome. All right. You'll just watch that thing. All right. <laughs> um, that would be pretty awesome, but I don't think I can. <laughs> Uh, cool. All right. So in John chapter 14, we are in, y'all are not going to be able to pay attention until that thing's dead. Somebody make it happen. <laughs> oh my gosh. There it is. Now he's angry. Even better. <laughs> y'all let me know if it gets close. All right. Here we go. <laughs> in John chapter 14, we're in a room with Christ. We're in a room with these 11 disciples. Uh, I say 11 because there's one there. One not there whose name was Judas Iscariot. Now Judas has left. He's already been told to go fulfill uh, what it is he set out to do, which was to betray Jesus. Uh, not all of the disciples are aware of this yet. And so they, what they know is that one of them will betray Jesus. They've just been told that. What they also heard Jesus say is that he'll be leaving them soon. And that when they hear that, they also hear that they can't follow him to where he is going. And so this kind of upsets them, and Peter speaks up. Peter tries to refute this idea that he cannot go with Christ. And so Jesus just tells him openly. He says that, that Peter, not only can you not go, but you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. And the disciples are filled in this moment, in this room, with a lot of worry, with a lot of doubt, with a lot of hopelessness, with a lot of fear. They, they had left everything. They had left their careers. I mean, some of them may be sitting there and be like, hold up, Jesus, I, I've got my Bass Tracker 3000 back home that I had bought for my, my fishing career, right? Now, now I want to go back to that. You, you told me to leave that and to follow you. Or maybe some of them are like, I left family for you, my wife, my kids. I told them I'm going on this journey with this man whom I don't know. And some of them are like, we left friends. We, we left our whole lives back there to follow you, and now, you're say, now you say you're going away. I would say that what started as a great night with food, which is always a good night, with friends and with Christ, has turned into a very troubling time for these 11 disciples. They're hearing these things, and they're growing more and more troubled in their heart. Now, I think they should have picked up on that this wasn't going to be a normal night when Jesus knelt and washed their feet, right? That was clue one. This night isn't going to be anything like a normal night with Christ, when Christ knelt down and washed their feet. But anyway, what we do know is the disciples are jacked up inside right now. They've got all sorts of emotions running around in them, and they're deeply troubled. Let's look at John 14, 1 through 14. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. 
And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am, the, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus continues, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, and the Father may be that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So many times in my life I have looked at my troubled heart, right? My doubt, my worries, my hopelessness, my fear as a mighty hindrance to God's will in my life. Like somehow I need to overcome all of that if I'm going to be useful for God, useful in this life that He's given me. The problem is this, when I constantly obsess over my troubled heart, when I'm constantly looking at myself, then what happens is I'm constantly staring at the problem and not the solution. Amen? I don't want you to miss this. It's not the troubled heart that will keep me from living for Jesus in a mighty way. It's the constantly staring at and obsessing over my troubled heart that will keep me from living for Jesus in a mighty way. It isn't that I need to pull myself up somehow magically by my bootstraps. Have you ever tried to make yourself better when yourself is the problem to begin with? It's an insane way to live. It, what happens is it drives you even further and further into your own troubled heart. Oftentimes, it'll drive you into depression. So it's not that I need to fix myself as if I could even do that. What it is, or it's also not that I just need to ignore it. Again, that's terrible advice for anyone with a troubled heart. Just, just ignore it. Just, just look over it. Just move forward. That's what we tell people. It's impossible to do that. The last thing you or I need to be doing with our doubt, with our worry, with our hopelessness, and with our fear is to ignore it. This will not help anything. This is why Jesus shows us a far better way. The main thing that you and I need to see this morning from this text, from God's Word, is this. And I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. The faith of a troubled heart is a powerful tool for God's glory. The faith of a troubled heart is a powerful tool for God's glory. I'll say it one more time. The faith of a troubled heart is a powerful tool for God's glory. Jesus doesn't ignore their troubled heart in this text. He doesn't dismiss their troubled heart, if you will. He doesn't even tell them to pull themselves up by their sandal straps. He doesn't say, who cares if you left your Bass Tracker 3000 in a comfortable life to come and follow me? Get over it. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I'm the one who's troubled here. Remember, we just read earlier that Jesus was troubled in His spirit. He doesn't say that. He doesn't put that on them. He doesn't say, I'm the one that needs to be troubled. I'm the one that's about to give my life uh, to God that, that, that I would be placed under His wrath for your sins. How dare you be troubled right now? Who do you think you are? He doesn't say any of those things. What Jesus does is He looks at them and immediately with compassion-filled eyes, no doubt, He has compassion for them. 
And from his compassionate heart, he speaks, do not let your hearts be troubled. What a great comfort this is. But, but he doesn't end there because ending there would mean that they would need to get it together somehow. Like, do not let your hearts be troubled. That would leave it up to you, right? That you somehow need to figure out not to make your heart troubled. But he doesn't leave it there. Praise God he doesn't. He doesn't say that you need to figure this out. What he says is, is do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe. Believe. Believe in God and believe also in me. Jesus is teaching the disciples that the antidote to a troubled heart is faith in Him. It's faith in Christ. What we see is that throughout the rest of this text, Jesus is backing this up. He's repeating phrases and words like believe, like know. Not, not to just know something, like we know a fact about something, but he means to deeply know, to intimately know, to be known is what he's talking about. He uses the phrase, would I have said it if? On a side note, any, anytime you're reading your Bible and you come to a text and you begin to see repeated words or phrases, make note of that because they're trying to tell you something. The writer's trying to speak something. You're, you're getting closer to the main point of that text. And this is where we're at here. The writer is trying to show us something. Here we see that what he's wanting to show us is that we ought to believe in Jesus in such a way that we trust Him. That that is the antidote to our troubled hearts. When our hearts are troubled, it's because we do not believe in God. We do not believe in Jesus. At least in that moment, we don't trust Him. Our, our faith is weak. Our belief is weak. So sure, we need to remember the faith of a troubled heart is a powerful tool for God's glory. But if I left you there, I think that would be incomplete because Christ doesn't leave us there in this text. He doesn't say just simply believe in me, believe in God. He tells us what to do when our hearts are struggling, when our belief is failing, when we are troubled by this world. And so if you're taking notes, you can write this down. When your heart is troubled, you must have faith to, number one, believe in a better home. Believe in a better home. Now, we talk about this a lot around here because this is essential to, to the perseverance of our faith. That, that we believe that something lies beyond our final breath that is better than this place. It's what keeps us going some days. So Christ starts right out of the gate. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And he tells them in verses 2 through 3, I'll just reread it to you so that we're all on the same page. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. We know that by house here, Jesus is referring to heaven. Jesus is saying that heaven is your home. But the beautiful part about this is he's also saying that there is enough room in heaven for all of God's children. That if you'll believe in him, heaven is your home. That he is going to prepare heaven for you, and while he is away preparing heaven for you, the Holy Spirit is here preparing you for heaven. Amen? He's working in us. And though for now, what we know is that we live in a strange land. 
One that is foreign to us because we are in Christ. This world is a place of brokenness. This world is a place of heartache. This world is a place of great trouble. This world is a place where we often struggle to figure out how we fit in because we don't fit in. We are destined for a better home, a better world still to come. That's how Jesus comforts the troubled heart here. He comforts the troubled heart of this world by promising a better world to come. This this place is not our home. Not finally forever. We are sojourners on our way to a better land. But the future place, that will be our home. And it will be a home unlike any other. And when I think of home, and, and I consider it a blessing to even think of home in this way, but I think of a place where I am loved unconditionally. And when I walk in and see my kids... It doesn't matter how foolish daddy has been, they run up and hug me anyway and kiss me and they're grateful to see me and my wife does the same. When I think of home, I think of a place where I am always welcome. Again, greeted at the door. When I think of home, I think of a place where I can escape the strife of this world and find peace, even just for a moment. But as great as that is, as much as I love my home, as much as I treasure my wife and my children, and I love the home that we're building together, it's amazing to think that heaven will far surpass any of my views about my current home. Amen? Or maybe you love this land or this country or or these things. That's not wrong, but even the things that you love most about this place will pale in comparison to the goodness of heaven. It won't even be on the same spectrum. We won't need a president anymore. We won't need a congress anymore. We won't need a house anymore. We'll have a king finally forever. One who is good to us and loves us. Amen? There is a better home out there. Believer, we must trust Jesus in this. When our hearts are troubled, we must stare at a text like this that tells us to not let our hearts be troubled, but to believe in God, believe also in Him. And we must hold stubbornly to these truths, not letting go of them, seeing these words over and over again. Christ has gone to prepare a place for us, but He says that He will come again to take us to Himself. He can be trusted because what He says comes from the Father, as we saw in verse 10. So yes, the faith of a troubled heart is a powerful tool for God's glory. And when your heart is troubled, believe in a better home. But also, believe in the way. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Believe in the way. Even heaven is troubling to these disciples. They hear Jesus talk about it, and He's like, you know the way there? And they're like, no, we don't know the way there. And so Jesus reassures them in verses 6 through 11. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us him, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long? You still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Verse 10, he says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. 
Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. You see, first of all, in verse 6, what we have here is a massive affirmation of Christ alone as the way to salvation. Believers, this is the most important doctrine that we have. This is the one thing that we cannot compromise ever, that there is no other way to heaven except through a crucified Christ. He's it. He's it. R.C. Sproul says to believe anything else is to be misled, and it's to mislead people, and it's to neglect the necessity of the coming of Christ and His redeeming work on the cross. If we think there is another way outside of Christ Jesus' work, then what we're doing is we're saying we never needed the cross to begin with. That it was foolishness for Christ to die. And that God is a murderer of sorts. That's a travesty and it would be blasphemy to think such things. Jesus is saying, I am the way because I am the truth from God. He's saying, I am the way because not only am I the truth from God, but I am also the life from God. That apart from me, you would have no truth. Apart from me, you would have no life. And so therefore, you now have a way. He's also saying that he is the perfect fulfillment of the three major Old Testament offices. Now, this is one of the coolest things in this text. The major Old Testament offices were prophet, priest, and king. By Christ's life, by his death, by his resurrection, he has fulfilled these things. This is what Hebrews talks so often about. He is the way because He is our great high priest. To be the great high priest means that He is the mediator of a new covenant, meaning He brings a new covenant. We're not under the old one anymore. And He brings a once-for-all-time sacrifice for our sins. He's the truth because He is the prophet. What did a prophet do? A prophet carried God's Word to His people. This is what God does in Christ. God makes the Word become flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is Jesus Christ in the flesh now before us. He is the prophet. He is God's final Word to His people. What did Jesus say? By My words you will be judged. Just a few chap- uh, couple of Sundays ago. And He is the life because He is the King. He's the one who pronounces life. He's the one that rules over all of death. He's the King of kings. He's the life from the sovereign giver of life, God. And He gives eternal life to believers now. Eternal life is not something we're hoping for. It's not something we're waiting for. uh, Eternal life is something we possess now if we are in Christ. Amen? We get to live now as eternal life-given believers in God. Again, this is a massive affirmation of the only way to salvation. It's the only way to peace with God the Father. It's through Christ alone. Anything else is blasphemy. Maybe you say, well, this sounds like preacher stuff. or This is stuff I'm not real interested in. Why is this important, Kyle? Well, because there are people who believe that their good works will get them to heaven. I, I talked to one just the other day who was telling me uh, he's a believer, calls himself a believer, loves the Lord, says he does, and was telling me just the other day that he believes that somehow in the end, not all people will, who don't believe in Christ, or who don't come through Christ, are gonna, there will be some of those who will still make it to heaven. He, doesn't, he said, I don't know how it will work, I just think it will happen. Well, buddy, I'm glad you think it will happen, but it clearly won't happen. And in fact, to think it will happen reduces the cross to nothingness. 
It, it's to totally blaspheme the Lord to think such things. Or at the very least, to be ignorant of what God's Word says. Another reason we ought to know the Word. But these are important. People think that their good works are going get to get them there. There are people who deny that we are born sinful because we inherited Adam's sin, as we read in Romans chapter 5. There are people who are afraid to say that a final judgment is coming and that we will be judged based on what we did with Jesus. Namely, did we deny that He is the way, the truth, and the life? Or did we receive Him by believing that He is the way, the truth, and the life? This stuff matters. It matters because it matters for all of eternity. It matters for the destination of a soul. And often our hearts are troubled because we're staring at ourselves. We're just navel-gazing. Hoping that we can be the way. Hoping that we can be the truth. That we can be the life. But Jesus is saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. For I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Well, Kyle, isn't Jesus being a bit dogmatic here? Isn't he being a bit inflexible? Maybe a bit rigid? Well, he absolutely is. This text is absolutely dogmatic. As it's been said before of all truth, for truth to be truth, it must be dogmatic. If truth flexes, if it moves around with, with the wind, it's not truth, is it? It's certainly not firm. It isn't truth at all. Of all things in religion, of this we can be sure. You can be sure that Jesus is the way. You can be sure that He is the life, that He is the truth. And that there is no other way to the Father except through Him. Let me tell you why this matters for you right now with a troubled heart. When your heart is troubled, when you don't know what's next, when you're struggling to believe, you must grab hold of these truths, these precious words of Christ, and never let go until you believe them. Never let them go until you, you know them deep down. Don't move to your next Bible study. Don't move to, your next, to the next verses. Don't stop until you have meditated in such a way that your soul screams out, I believe that He is the way. I believe that He is the truth. I believe that He is the life. In the midst of my troubled heart, I trust Him. And until you can say that confidently, don't move from that text. It would only be Satan wanting to distract you from grasping hold of something that will change your life forever. We must also be careful not to do as Thomas and Philip did here. Thomas and Philip, they wanted more. This wasn't enough for them. When they hear Jesus talk, they say, it's good, but it's not enough. We want more. But Jesus assured them, that this was enough, and that he could be believed, and that he could be trusted. And oftentimes, we're like these two disciples, aren't we? Don't we often want to know what's coming next? Aren't we often asking, I wonder what the end result of this will be? If I could just know the outcome of this, then maybe I would do that. But in spiritual matters, faith is content to move forward one step at a time. Faith is content to be happy in Christ, trusting Him, not seeing the future, but trusting Him. And as a way to strengthen our hearts for believing and trusting, Jesus adds these words, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Jesus has just said that He and God the Father are one. 
He has just said that every word of Jesus is a divine act from God the Father. But he knows the fragile state of our hearts. He knows that we'll become troubled by this world, that things will knock us off course, if you will. And so he encourages us. And I love the way he encourages us. He encourages us to look back at the works of God in our lives to find strength to persevere. My brothers and sisters, your life is going to be full of trouble. That's the nature of this world. No one gets in or out of this life easily. It's full of trouble. It's full of turmoil. It's full of death and loss and sorrow and pain. It just is. Your life will be full of trouble. Your heart may grow in hopelessness. Your heart may grow in fear. Your heart may grow in doubt. But I tell you right now, you as a believer in Christ Jesus are not alone. You're not alone. You have a Savior in heaven who can be trusted. You have a Savior in heaven whom Hebrews calls an empathetic high priest. One who knows everything that we're going through. Jesus enters heaven bodily. Thomas Goodwin says that Jesus entering heaven bodily means that He reserves within Himself a place to still feel what humans feel. He feels with us the pain of this world. You are not alone. You have an empathetic high priest. You have the very Spirit of God even so in you now, living powerfully. God has not left you alone. God is not going away from you. He's not leaving you. He's not forsaking you. God is actively showing you the way to Himself. God is actively at work in your life. And He is going to show you His power. Of this you can be sure. So believe in Christ right now. Trust Him today. For He is the one who says in John 16.33 that I have said these things to you that in Me you may have peace. In who? In Christ. He says in Me you may have peace. And then He goes on to say in this world you will have tribulation. So it shouldn't shock us. It's here. We know it's here. He says in this world you will have tribulation but take heart I have overcome the world. In the world, what we know is there will be trouble all of the time. But we have this hope of Christ that we can have peace in Him. When we believe and trust in Him, He gives us His peace. When we bring our, our troubles to Him, when we pray about everything, it says that we will know His peace, which surpasses all of our human understanding. Our hearts will be encouraged our hearts will be strengthened. Our hearts will be emboldened by His grace through our belief. We cannot overcome the world our own, but in Christ, we can overcome the world. Therefore, we know that Jesus is the way, so let's believe in Him because the faith of a troubled heart is a powerful tool for God's glory. He wants to use you in that season, in this moment. So when your heart is troubled, you must have faith to, number one, believe in a better home. Number two, believe in the way. And number three, believe that God is powerfully with you. Believe that God is powerfully with you. At the end of our text today are these amazing statements in verses 12 through 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. It's just incredible. Again, what Jesus is emphasizing here is belief in Him as the antidote for our troubled hearts. What He's saying is that this belief will result in a power for our lives. That this belief will bring glory to God. I love this text. I love this, this statement here. Often I've heard it misused terribly. Let's just start this way. When he says, whoever believes in me, he means whoever believes in me. This is not a special dose of belief. This is not another experience for believers outside of your salvation experience. This is not, uh, sorry, this is the one word to all believers that if you will believe in Jesus, you will do the works that I do and also greater works than those because Jesus has gone to the Father. Let me break it down just a little bit. Jesus has gone to the Father because He's finished His work on earth. Now He sits in heaven as a mediator. What He's done is He's made it possible through His atonement for sin for the Holy Spirit to live in believers. We'll get there soon, but in John 17, He says, it's good that I go away. Because when I go, then I will send a comforter for you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. When a person believes... In Christ, they receive the Holy Spirit in their life, according to Ephesians 1. This Holy Spirit is to help them live powerfully in this world, as we see all throughout the New Testament. It's to help them live boldly for Christ. And Ephesians 1 says that the Spirit is our guarantee of a better world to come. And now, God is continuing to accomplish this magnificent work on earth through His people by His Spirit. Therefore, when Jesus says greater works than these will He do, He doesn't mean greater signs or wonders. No one since Christ has ever walked on water. No one since Christ has fed 5,000 people with a Happy Meal. No one since Christ has changed water into wine. That would be a multi-billion dollar business. Most importantly, the most important wonder of Christ is that no one has died for the salvation of all who believe. Christ did that. So it doesn't mean a greater sign or a greater wonder. This is not what Christ is after. He's made Himself powerful enough in His Word. He's not looking to, to constantly do that. The signs that Jesus performed were only meant to prove His claims about Himself. The end goal and the chief work of believers is not to perform signs and wonders, though that can happen whenever God wants it to. I do not deny that. But the end goal and the chief work of believers is not to be sign seekers either. The end goal and the chief work of believers is to continue the work of Jesus, which is namely saving souls, that we would live as His people, that we would proclaim His name, His gospel to others, and that we would live in such a way that people would look at us and know that we have been with Christ. That is our chief end. When Jesus says greater works than these will He do, He means greater in worldwide scope. For example, more believers came to Christ at Pentecost than in all of Jesus' earthly ministry combined. And think of the millions more since then. It's, it's always been the ordinary work, quote-unquote ordinary work, that is most powerful. Seeking signs, seeking wonders is a diversion tactic from Satan meant to distract us from the mission that we have as God's ambassadors in this world. Ordinary ministry 
which means boldly living for Jesus, boldly telling others about His saving work. That's ordinary ministry. That's the stuff that you and I can do as ordinary men and women. Amen? We can do that. That is what results in the transformation of souls. That is what results in someone going from an old man to a new man. That is what results in the transformation of societies. That's what matters. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation hearing about Him, proclaiming His name. That's what's most glorious. That's what's most powerful. That is the greater work that God has for us because that is the greater way that He has chosen to be glorified. So I say let's get after it. Let's live boldly for Jesus. Let's share the gospel with others. And praise God He doesn't leave us in that. He doesn't leave us there as a way to show us that He's with us, as a way to strengthen our hearts. God gives us prayer. Verse 13 and 14, this is what I want to leave you with today. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So what's the key then to answered prayer based on that text? In my name, right? Not, Not just, this doesn't mean ending your prayer with in Jesus' name, amen. God, give me a Ferrari in Jesus' name, amen, right? Doesn't work that way. God, could I please have a raise? Begin to make a million dollars a year in Jesus' name, amen. That doesn't work that way. God is not Santa Claus. But what we have here is something far more powerful. When you pray in His name, you are praying in a way that is consistent with His character and with His will. That's what it means to do something in someone's name. All right, cultural context here. When you would do something in someone's name, you would do it according to their character and according to their will, according to their desires. This is what Jesus means when he says, you do this in my name. He's saying effective prayer must ask for and desire what I delight in. And anything that you ask for or desire that I also delight in, I will give that to you. I will make that happen for you. Why? Because God gets the glory from that, as he says. And often, when you pray in Jesus' name, according to His will, according to His desires, or at least you're trying to, you're making those efforts, what happens is you'll receive a no to some of your requests, right? You think, man, I'm praying according to His will somehow. Or or maybe you're just praying for something and then you say, Lord, let let this happen if it's according to Your will. Or, or, Or in Your name. And if you get a no to that, sometimes we're disappointed. Sometimes we're like, man, I I was really hoping that would be according to His will. (laughs) Or maybe based on your understanding of Scripture, you thought that thing was according to His will. What we know that is that we shouldn't be alarmed by a no. We shouldn't even be disgruntled by a no as if our Father just told us no when we were asking for something. What we know that is if God answers no to our request, it's because we're not praying according to His will, and He's trying to teach us how to do that, number one. But it also means that we can be confident that His no is far better than any yes we could ever receive in this life. That, that, that with His no comes a yes that is according to His will and His desires for your life, which will be far greater than anything you'll ever think up or dream up on your own. It's far better. 
2 Corinthians 12 is a good example of this. Paul there is praying three times for a thorn to be removed from his flesh. We don't know if the thorn was physical. Maybe it was. Could have been uh, something spiritual, something he felt on the inside. He prays three times and he says that God told him no. And what Paul learned is that it was good for him to remain in weakness. He said, I've learned to boast in my weakness because in my weakness, Christ is made strong in me. And that is more important than being strong in ourselves. So Paul says, I boast in my weaknesses. So we pray according to God's will. We pray according to His desires. Just as Jesus taught, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a great prayer to pray. And when you pray this way, you can be confident that whether yes or no, prayers are always being answered for God's glory alone. Brothers and sisters, if, if Jesus doesn't go rogue in prayer or in His life, then neither should we. If He was always about the Father's business, then so should we be about our Father's business. So should we be following our Father. So should we be hoping that the Lord would lead us to repentance if ever we're not. And then we have this confidence in 1 John 5, 14 through 15. Again, written by John. This is his epistles to a church. We just started going through this with our uh, students on Tuesday nights. If your students not going, bring them. It's a blast. This is what he says there. He says in 1 John 5, 14 through 15, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. What confidence we have that as long as we're praying according to the will of God, He's going to answer our prayers. Amen. Amen. As a side note, I don't know if the silence means that we struggle to believe that God answers prayers or not. I'm going to assume that it does in some way. And, and so here's what I want to offer. Pray, even when you don't feel like it. Even when you're not sure if God can answer your prayers or not. Pray. One of the, the most fruitful things about praying as a family that I've seen, let alone in my own life and getting to pray with all of you, is that I get to pray with, with my, my Wells and my Bear and my Winnie and my Haddon now and Patricia. And we get to bring requests for the, before the Lord. Oftentimes we bring requests before the Lord that we've heard from you guys. Bear, bless his heart, still prays for Mr. Brian and Ms., Mr. Crystal. <laughs> We're still praying for Carly every night. We're, we're still believing the Lord for things. But what's been fun is Mr. Brian and Mr. Crystal got their prayer answered. And I'm getting to see that more and more. It's been encouraging to my faith because I'm one who I can pray with you and believe God with you for anything in this world. But when it comes to praying for myself, I struggle in that. I think it's because I'm so aware of how sinful I am. I struggle to think that God would do anything good for me. Friends, God doesn't do good stuff for us because we earned it. In the same way that we ought not just give good things to our kids when they earn it. Oftentimes we give good things to our kids whether they earned it or not. God is willing to answer prayers. God wants to answer your prayers. God wants to move 
in your life. Amen? Be encouraged to believe in Him no matter what you're praying for. He is there. And He loves you more than you'll ever imagine. Whew. So believe that God is powerfully with us to accomplish His will. For His good, sorry, for our good, for His glory. We believe that by holding fast to these things, to His words that we see here. And we believe it by our prayers. When your heart is troubled, have faith to believe in a better home. Have faith to believe in the way. Have faith to believe that God is powerfully with you even in the moment of trouble. That the faith of a troubled heart is a powerful tool for God's glory. He'll use it. Would you stand to your feet this morning?